I think the minute I stepped on our practice field for rugby, the calling happened. Uh, an eight-year plan to be on the team. And I was in it within two years. Don't wait until you are a pro to be a pro, right? Like, I like doing something, look, stopping and learning from it. Like, it just looked like it was a heavy hit. If it's up, it's not up. You know, that's the first time I played, like, professionally. I'm making rugby money. How can I make money outside of it? And those two Scottish guys, and they said, oh, you're, um, you're here for the movie. Rugby is a sport where that's often coupled with actually having a good time. He looked at me and he says, you guys are awesome. Yo, what's up everybody? Welcome to another great episode of Grow Rugby. My name is Gift Gift Time A. Bailu, and this is the show where we speak with people about the opportunities that they have found, created, and taken advantage of via rugby. Now, I have to say, we got an amazing guest uh, for today for you. She is a former manager for the men's national team over the last 12 years, has been to multiple Rugby World Cups, has been, went with them to the Olympics, so many sevens tournaments, I can't even begin to imagine to put a count on it. She is a muscle therapist, as well as a former player, my friend, the dope, Sarah Sal. T-O-R-I, the original influencer, uh, and the co-founder of the company, the original influencer, and guys, this is uh, definitely one of my favorite conversations to have. Uh, it was it was enthralling, it was intriguing, uh, it gave us a lot more depth into the team, the national team, and what goes on behind the scenes over at USA Rugby and more, but it was, I, I, I think you guys, no, I don't think, I know you guys are going to enjoy this, and this was just an amazing conversation to be able to have on that one. But before we get into that, yo, I want to give a shout out to both the USA men's and women's national team. While Madrid Sevens this weekend did not turn out the way that we would like it to have been, yo, big shout out, still coming in third, uh, still showing that you're a top five, top three team in the world, even though, hey, look, man, we got things to work on. Yo, but big shout out uh, to... Two of our former Grow Rugby Show guests, Enchetta Emba and Naya Tapper being a participant. Enchetta Emba knocking it out over at the at Madrid Sevens. So, yo, I always want to be praising to those who have been able to give their time to us. And uh, give, just being able to sh- give us the stories of what's going on as they start getting ready for this Olympic journey. And then... Of course, you know, on the other side of it is the misfortune of uh, Perry Baker and uh, the, the fracture to his ankle, uh, which means his Olympic play is in jeopardy. Um, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but, yo, you know, 34-35 and trying to heal back quick is uh, no easy feat, <laughs> to say the least. A brother can tell you this. So, uh, look, you know, we'll, we'll hopefully, you know, Put out the good vibes, prayers, whatever it is, because can't actually put our hands and uh, you know, Mr. Miyagi the ankle into working again. So uh, I hope I hope it actually ends up really uh, not not being too lasting of an injury, because it would really suck to not have him for the Olympics this year, especially considering everything that's happened alongside with it. But needless to say, 
we're still even closer to uh, MLR starting to come back again. It's actually two weeks now. Uh, we're, 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 we're at the beginning of March. MLR is coming back, so we're going to be having more rugby. I know Six Nations, for a lot of people, were there. I'm not a big Six Nations guy. I don't find Northern Hemisphere rugby to be the most interesting thing in the world, but I guess whenever you don't have very much, then uh, you just go ahead and uh, you deal with what you got to do. So, uh, But I'm happy for Super Rugby to start getting ready to come back. You know, the their fall test matches coming through, even though we're getting a very weird... Uh, set up, you know, send uh, 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 less uh, South Africa and Argentina, but I mean, it's always been about New Zealand and Australia when it came down to it. So, and you know, so it's all it's all good, guys. Uh, just want to let you guys know we are going to have a little bit of a weird situation going into the uh, the next few po- the next few shows because of the fact that I am going to be out of town I'll be in Brazil so recording from the start is going to be a little different with each one but just give you the heads up you know I'm keeping it up we're still getting at the regular time still hook you guys up we got so many guests that we have to do and we have so many guests that are still providing us great info and I can't hold that back from you <laughs> so I hope you guys you know, I just want to let you know if it seems like something of the information might not be super relevant and there's a reason there's a reason so all right i'm not gonna hold us up for too long i just want to make sure to remind you guys hey please if you guys enjoy the show please tell your friends about it let them come and follow subscribe to the show on uh uh, anchor.fm or check it out on apple Podcasts or check it out on google Podcasts or spotify or iHeartMedia or wherever uh just so you guys we can continue to see the growth continue to get things out there of course and constantly be able to make sure that we are sending out the message and making sure that we're creating a better connection to the people in rugby so that we can continue to enjoy the game of rugby that much more. I'm telling you, hallelujah, let it be known. <laughs> oh. And, uh, of course, please go subscribe to us on YouTube to be able to watch the show live. We're continuing to tweak it up, try and make it a little bit more uh aesthetically pleasing so you guys will see that i'm already trying to do a little bit of the stand-up version i uh, just want to show it off uh, if, if you can see it of course if you're just listening to it you know it is what it is but you know we're slowly trying to adjust it and getting ready for a bigger 2021 and uh uh want to make sure that you guys are are, are just cons- consistently satisfied and like i said share the show you know we're going to start putting out mini clips so it makes it a little bit easier because i know an hour and a half is hard for people who are just coming in you want to test it out test the water so we're going to be dropping individual clips for you and we got some other information we got some other uh uh what do you call it content coming out as well too and uh on the last few things Please go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcast or iTunes Podcast. Uh, any reviews that we get helps us to be able to get a kind of centrist idea of what's going on and allows us to be able to sell the show so that we can get you guys more content, but more importantly, so we can create a blueprint that you can use for your stuff, both as an individual rugby person, as a club rugby person, and all that good stuff, because all this matters when it comes to the growth of rugby, especially in non-major rugby countries. 
All right, guys. Yo, that's it that we have for announcements. Oh, and of course, no, that's it that we have for announcements. We're going to hit you up with some other stuff later on. But, guys, you guys stay tuned. Yo, you guys are going to enjoy this. The great, the original influencer, the original U.S. men's national team's manager, the great Sarah Alisal. Check it out. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another great episode of Grow Rugby. My name is Gift Gift Time and Bailu, and we got another V V V V V I incredible P. I always say this, and I feel like it always sounds weird, but this is one of literally the original influencers, the <laughs> men's national team manager. Um, a a whew, we have a list here going through has been part of United World Sports has been an integral part of wins Olympics uh world, rugby World Cups as a player as uh, a, a, a masseuse as a manager Sarah Alice Saul Sarah <laughs> thank you so much for uh, taking the time to be with us today yeah thank you for having me. <laughs> 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 you know, I, <laughs> I, I always love talking about like where things start. And, um, you know, I, I remember I think the biggest start whenever I first heard about you was actually like it was it was two parts. It was a friend of a friend and it was randomly seeing your profile on multiple occasions. And you just kept popping up everywhere, literally just popping up. And I'm like, who is this person? And so I, I think uh, we have a mutual friend, Tiffany Faye. And uh, yes. she, she had mentioned you, and then I, you just start seeing him. Then again, you look up the person. You're like, okay, why? Why do they keep popping up? And then Facebook follows you, and it just <laughs> and that also helps. Like I'm not even gonna lie. Like, but it was a follow, follow on that because it was I followed, you followed, I followed, you followed, and then it was just like, okay, what we 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 need to just connect. But it was still like you saw the profile, and it was, and I kept hearing it from other people. I heard it. From you, uh, from Tiff, uh, I heard it from a Grant Cole. I heard about you from um, Coma. I had heard about you from like one or two other people. I can't remember. So yeah, you kind of pop up a lot, and I was like, okay, all right, we 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 gotta we gotta be able to we gotta cross this. So uh, <laughs> want to reach out and make it happen, and you know, we finally were able to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like that I'm fi- popping up on Facebook because I feel like I, you know, I'm trying not to be on it that much. But look, look, we we can't fight, we can't fight culture. All right, we I we, know, we, I know. <laughs> we find a way through. But mm-hmm. you know, I, as I could say, I always say, with every superhero, there's an origin story, and I am gonna call you a hero and a legend in this because uh, you're you 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 are. <laughs> but you know, yeah. as I was. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Sarah. I got you. I'm going to be the mouthpiece for you. Yeah. Yo, the legend here, um, you know, I always like to ask where where everything started. So for you, Sarah, how did you get started with rugby? Um, well, I mean, that's somewhat of your typical story. You know, I started in college because we didn't have girls high school. So I started at Delaware. And it was mainly because I didn't want to join a sorority. Um, my dream was to train <laughs> 
to train there's, there's something special to do. Um, I, I, long story short, I, I trained horses my whole life and I wanted to go to the Olympics and then realized in college, like just kind of went to school to have like a fallback road in, you know, in college and, but I didn't want to join the equestrian team because, you know, it's kind of like there's people that are really competitive and then people that wear horses on their shirts. Mm-hmm. And my, my, you know, as my trainer was half an hour, so I would go every day, um, have my classes in the morning, go train and we do the series. And then I just realized I wasn't good enough. I was at the top level. And um, I mean, I still worked in um, training horses for a billionaire after school, but I started playing rugby because the people were really nice. Um, and I, you know, I, I wasn't that good in college. I just really not, not that good at anything I do. I just work really, really hard and I educate myself. So I became captain really quickly, you know, right. you know, I never drank before games cause I never wanted to, I never wanted to blame anything. And I always feel like I have to work that much harder to be. So I became good, but it wasn't until after school, which, you know, first time I saw a women's rugby game, you know, I'm not five, three, um, I was smaller than, I mean, I'm not as muscular as I am when I was playing, but I was like, I'm not playing this sport afterwards. And then all, all of my friends from college, you know, were kind of like, well, what do we do? So we wanted to play and we played for this team called Brandywine. But, you know, I got extremely, extremely lucky that some of my first experiences right after college were I got invited to Marfu and, you know, two of my heroes, M.A. Sorensen and Joe Kelly, who were my good friends who lived down the road. They were my Marfu coaches and Kristen McFerrin. I mean, like, you can't get, I don't know if you know, but you can't get better than these people. And then like my friends, you know, M.A. would call me up and be like, Sarah, what do you think about this? You know, and she would come and practice with us. I mean, she was with Philly women uh, at the time but like she would come to our practices or help out if i asked or joe would help with scrum sessions so like joe would just sit there and he'd be like we are so like so he's so old school in the sense but he's like we are so lucky like i remember being in marfu's down in florida or itt's and he was like you know that we get to play this game like he's like look at this day like i mean he, there, I mean, he, he was so inspiring and then amel cygnus who, I mean, these are all Pennsylvania people, but, but who, um, you know, I, ha- I had to educate some people and I had him honored. I was just commenting on something the other day in 2013, who basically is probably the only person in USA rugby that not one person could say anything poorly about. He is one of the most wonderful human beings. He has, he, he was in, in sevens in the seventies, way before, I mean, he was way above, you know, before he pioneering. everyone he's coached anyone that has any influence in sevens, like, you know, coach Jules McCoy, he coached Al Car- Caravelli, he coached Alex Magleby, he coached, um, if you go, I, I did this, what's your number campaign. And I had him honored in 2013 in Vegas and Dan Lyle, like, let me name the invitational trophy after him. And I had, and, um, Nigel had a big party for him and I had 500 people and people were like giving me money to like to bring him there like because everybody you know Chris McFerrin played for him I mean everybody has you know played for Emil and he is so wonderful so they were you know right out of right out of college I, I got these two two great experiences and then I was you know fortunate enough to go on a bunch of Atlantis tours 
So I had these mentors and role models that probably ruined me because they they set such a high standard of, you know, expectation. Yeah. I mean, I remember I went to Trinidad and Emil is very soft spoken and he would just say like two things and everybody in the room would sit there and write down and listen. You're not one person was, you know, disrespectful at anything he said, people would be like, you know, and sometimes Emil would be like, well, you're not fast enough, you know, so you're like, you shouldn't be there or, you know, we did, but we did it in a way where like, it's just, it was so such an honor like, to play for him. So yeah. that, that made me more competitive because as we talked about the other day, like I didn't know what I didn't know. So once I knew that there was this higher level out there, like in college, I didn't, you know, you went to Marfu's, you mid-Atlantic, whatever, you, you lost to Penn State and that was it. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, that's all I knew. I, I knew like one person that went to All Stars. Like, like we weren't really exposed to it. We right. then and then I found out. Oh wow, there's this whole world out there of higher level rugby. So you know, then I played club, but you know, I really love sevens um, just because I was smaller and it makes you accountable, and I love that. Right. So I, you know, made people play sevens when they didn't want to. I went and practiced with Wilmington with six people, like Wilmington men. I started, you know, a team. And then I would fight my club about, you know, playing sevens in the summer. And then, you know, I was lucky enough to play internationally. And, you know, half my best friends, you know, are from other teams I played with. Like, like I just told you, we were talking about Coma. I met her in Brazil, even though she's a Philly girl from down the road. But you know, I met her in Brazil. I met, I played with so many New York um, players, like at di uh, different tournaments. That I say I'm like their stepchild. This is just a, we, we just became family at this point. We, we it was right. at no point. They've basically been raising me in under the guise of rugby. Yeah, I, mean, like, I, I played in a seventh tournament in Bermuda with them. It was all New York and me, and you know it's just. Back in the day when they used to have like three sides. So right. anyway, I got really competitive and then I got injured. And um, because of Emil, um, I was at an invitational at San Diego Sevens and he introduced me to our medical director. And then I got involved with the, the men's national team, um, which was great because it kind of coincided with you know, I got injured, so I couldn't play. And so it gave me a gateway to. Back that but, yeah, I mean, I'd still be playing. I mean, right now I, I had, you know, I had seven knee surgeries and I had a knee replacement and I mean, I'd still be playing if, if I could. I mean, it, it's, it's still, it's been 10 years and it's, it's still a huge loss for me. It's like, like it, it, it's, it's, it's literally one of those things that once it gets into the system, it, it, it just doesn't come out. It's just becomes part of the blood. You kind of evolved into it, essentially. Yeah, but yeah, out of all my friends, like, you know, I was like, are your boots in the car? That means you want to play. You know, so they were purposely, like, after, like, they kind of retired, leave their cleats out because they knew that I was one, like, going around and being like, you're playing, you're playing, you're not coming off the field. Like, <laughs> I would go to Saranac Lake and, like, play with three different teams. I mean, I, I was a pusher. Like, <laughs> I definitely... Yeah. <laughs> hey, yo, you want to get some rugby? Let's get some, some rugby. I know you're going to like this rugby. Come on, let's go. Well, let's yeah, I mean, they were rugby players, but they were just kind of like, I just want to go have fun. I'm like, you're playing. You know, like, <laughs> and I mean, and still, once I got into, you know, going to assemblies and World Cups and stuff, like, I go to the referees' meetings. I go to the managers' meetings. Right. I mean, even though I can't play, like, I love learning. Like, I just, which is the great thing, because I'm like, why wouldn't you? Like, what do you... You know, what are you going to do if you're traveling all day and not learning and evolving? So, no, that's it's that's real. Like, 
it's interesting because of the fact that so much of that is based in the fact of of what you were able to learn from this family side of high performance while simultaneously already tapping into this competitive edge for you. Do you think that you would have had it, say, arguably, had you stayed in something like equestrian, that you think that your trajectory would have still been this deep like for that as you would have been for rugby? I... Well, it's funny. I so I stopped riding because you know I got to I, I was a show jumper. So I, I was um, my trainer was a Grand Prix rider. But the world is just you know it's like Formula One racing. It's just very overprivileged. You have to be you know the top one percent to to do well, and unless you are a millionaire, right? Um, and I realized that very early on that I, I just couldn't compete. Um, but that those were my dreams, but you know, we would do things like, I mean, in high school, the day after my prom, like I didn't drink cause I had a horse show at five o'clock the next morning, you know, in the, in college, even when I started playing rugby, I would have my classes in the morning. I would go ride and drive half an hour to go ride every day and then go to rugby practice and, and then do my work. Um, but I realized like afterwards, because I started getting into rugby, like, we would go away for months at a time, somewhat like rugby, like, you know, horse shows, like there's local, but once you're at that level, um, I never went international with it. Cause that's a whole. And it's a different level of expense that goes into yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, to fly horses, you know, and quarantine them and all that kind of stuff. But you know, we go up and down the East coast and right. do all this. And it was just like, it was too much. So then I tried to do a nine to five job training horses and it just wasn't for me right. but then it wasn't until years later when i was with the sevens team and you know as mike friday he would say like oh these are my race horses these are my whatever <laughs> so i'm like so i quit riding so i could have a life and do other things and then i was like oh my god i'm doing the same exact thing like it's just with people not horses like i'm i'm traveling around right 24 hours a day because like we would have to do barn checks you know at midnight and you'd be up at five like you can't sleep in with horses i mean and, and so I'm like, I'm doing the exact same thing I did, except horses are easier to take care of than, <laughs> you know, I'm doing this where I'm traveling long stretches of time, like, you know, missing a lot of my friends and family events and, right. you know, taking care of these people or animals. And so I guess, it, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, it's just in me that that's, um, what I love to do that if I do something, I, I've been told I care too much. Like I'm going to do it. And I, 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 one of the words I hate the most is like mediocre. Like I, I, I don't want to be <laughs> mediocre, you know? Oh no, I think that's, that's real. And, and to be honest with you, it, it is one of those things that's a gift and a curse gift for the <laughs> obvious reason that you're going to work and you're going to find a way to make something happen. Yeah. The curse being that it becomes a tunnel vision of I'm going to make something happen and yo, get out of my way, help me or get out of my way, but we're going to get to this. <laughs> yeah. I mean the, the, you know, the um, elite athlete well-being stuff that I kind of told you I was doing is interesting. We're having a topic and I'm not calling myself an elite athlete whatsoever, but I was saying there's a very fine line between elite level athletes and like obsessiveness right you know, like that that you teeter because you have to have a certain level of com you know a huge level of commitment and a certain level of mindset and like telling yourself that you are the best and all this and but there's a, it's a very fine line to crossing that 
right. um, which is really interesting because you have to have certain traits to be at the top level. Right. But it, but it is, like you just said, it's a blessing and a curse because a lot of those traits then hurt you in other areas of your life or when you're done with sports, like it's how you kind of fill in that space. Right. That, that look, so, I mean, we have the perfect example when it comes to the Michael Jordan effect, like the hyper competitiveness. If you ask like what he was going to be like, it was, this is probably the, the basketball was the best thing. Cause you wouldn't want that same level of focus for anything else. But it also means that he, you get to the best. That means, Something gets cut out within that process, right. uh, unfortunately. But I guess it's kind of pick and choose where it is. And then obviously the end game is what we have. But no, I, I love also within that factor because it also talks speaks to what the level of commitment that we have. Because I think even here in the States, we and you know this, like whenever it comes to the understanding of what it means to be high level, uh, high performance and what the reality of what it means to be high performance. I don't think always coincide together for most, um, the average, I'll say the average athlete, let alone the average U.S. rugby athlete. So for you, because you had this opportunity to see, not only be and help train these guys and in, in help facilitate their development uh, with these high performance athletes, and then subsequently seeing it with other um, other countries, high performance athletes for you. What has been one of the key gripes that you have with where people's average perception, you know, I'm getting you, but I <laughs> but where the perception of it is for the average person to what the reality is uh, whenever you're actually there. Okay. I mean, We've had, I've seen the arguments on Facebook, so I know, I know there's already, it's so hard to say, but like I would say, and I think it goes back, to, you know, to again, like being one of the only females in men's rugby, like, you know, and I was willing to take that on. And I knew like I had to be sort of extra good, you know, and to set a standard because I, I don't know if I'm wording this correctly, but I think as rugby players um, and as we are emerging in the U.S. still, there's a level of responsibility that we we have and that people don't realize. So I get really bothered because I see how hard these athletes and just to say I'll reference men a lot, which does not mean I am not. I mean, I you know, I supported women's rugby in, but just because that's what my wheelhouse has been for the last 12 years. But I am, you know. You support them all. But this is where you're at. So, I just want to preface that. So yeah. when I see these men like at World Cups and like when our boys did not go out at all, because like in 2011, there's a scandal for like England's captain went out with like. So I see them not drinking. You know, I see them getting up in the morning and, um, and how hard they're working and how hard they're training. I mean, part of that's because they have limited time together or you see that when we become, we become an Olympic sport. And then, you know, if I'm wearing a USA rugby stuff and I go down the road and people are like, Oh, so, you know, so they still drink before games. And I'm like, they're Olympic athletes. Like half of them hardly drink number one, like, you know, but, and I think like all of the sacrifices that they're making to, to legitimize the sport for, you know, not, 
but I mean, basically for us, for the rest of the population, you know, grassroots is so important, but they're doing it and they're paving a way because rugby, you know, I'm sure you, you get it. Like people ask me, is it, oh, is that the one with the, where you're on horses with a stick, you know, or that's lacrosse, you know, like people, I'm like, no. So it, uh, I get ultra sensitive when people like with that quarantine ruggers thing on Facebook, because I was like, we have to be better than that. Like right. if these men and women are setting an example, especially at the OTC where, you know, where every day they're being observed and they're, you know, they're taking pride in their appearance. They're working their butts off. They're eating right. They're doing everything they can to legitimize this sport. And so I don't feel bad. Like when my old school Delaware get kicked off campus for drinking, you know, like, because you should know better. Like we're not at a point where you can do these things and you're setting the sport back so far when people are making such big sacrifices. And I mean, that's just my opinion because I'm not these athletes, but I see how much they sacrifice. And, you know, there's a couple of screw ups now and then, but for the most part, you know, people think that it's, you know, you see on Instagram, like, especially in sevens and, and like, like I was telling you in 15s, because we're a tier two nation, we would go to Romania in the winter and Georgia, you know, like we go to these places, you're like, you know, or really hot places in South America. Although Uruguay is a beautiful country, but like, you know, we're, we're in the middle of nowhere. We're in a hotel by ourselves. Sevens, um, you know, we, we go to really nice places, you know, we go stay by the Champs-Élysées in Paris and by the Opera House. But, you know, we go and maybe, you know, Cape Town, you go see Table Mountain, but you don't see this getting up at seven, doing testing, you know, doing warm ups, you know, doing everything together, training three times a day or twice a day, um, all of the film sessions, all of the you know, one-on-ones, all of the rehab sessions, you know, so that's 95% of it, you know, or flying 16 hours and then doing it all again. And as we talked about, like in sevens, you have to prepare like it's a 15s game. You prepare all day for 14 minutes, like if it's a three-day tournament that you might not even play it. And then you have to recover. And then in the middle of that, you have to go do um, a box appearance for HSBC or go, you know, and visit people and you have to analyze the film after the match and then you have to get ready for the next match. And then you have to analyze the film for who you're playing and do have a whole different game plan. So yes, they're, we're doing it in beautiful places and the people are amazing. But for the most part, especially, you know, in sevens, they are so professional and I can say every other country too. Um, they're just, everybody's working together because you're just, in the same area all the time. Staff helps each other out from other countries. Um, so I think the perception is like, oh yeah, you get to go all these fun places and do all these fun things. And you know, this is probably, and not you because you know, you're doing the announcing part, but a lot of people I've met will be like, oh, we've been at the same places for the last 10 years. But I was not out of the I was making Gatorade. I mean, I, I said my first eight years of my career, I, I made Gatorade probably. 70% of, of the day. Thank God sevens, they give you, they give you the bottles, but in 15s, I mean, that legitimately was most of what I did yeah. <laughs> in my day is making Gatorade. <laughs> <laughs> was, and, and the ironic part is, and, and 
what people don't realize is that when you're in that work mode, you're not here for what's going on around. It's not a tourist site. It's not a, yo, we're just getting a free, we're just getting paid to be able to go, you know, tour the areas. It's like, no, we're here to work. We're here to get the work done. And then we go. And (laughs) I talked about last week. I, I, yeah, I've went to Japan five times. I realized because I went to the world cup last as a spectator for the first time. And I was like, I realized that was the fifth time I had been there and I had not seen a thing. I mean, I, we went, you know, we saw one temple in Tokyo and then I think Mike Tolkien took us once to some, you know, kind of rooftop bar, the thing to see a view for like an hour. But that's, right. you know, I, I don't, I didn't mind because that wasn't what we were there for. I can tell you about the stadiums and about right. the locker rooms <laughs> and about how long it takes. I mean, I, I, I have, and I, I can tell you about a lot of airports. <laughs> and <laughs> like, know the best. I know the best coffee spots inside. Uh, uh, what did you call it? Whatever, Hikaida Airport in Tokyo. Like, I, I got you guys. I got yeah. you. You want to go somewhere in the city? Look, I'm gonna let you know. There's a spot maybe around the stadium, but I don't actually even know that one. <laughs> right, right. I can tell you about how the kitchen's set up, and if the kitchen staff lets me go back there and get Gatorade and where the laundry is, but that's that's about it. <laughs> no, no, it's exactly it, and 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 I think that it's really important to be able to do that. Like we were, we were talking, you know, off camera, but like it's a lot of people don't get to experience these components of it. Because of the fact that it's just not it's not what they do. It's the reason why we want fans, because it's supposed to be an escape. We are an entertainment, while simultaneously the lack of understanding goes, there's a reason why this is a machine and not just a a, a breeze of air that just happens. Like these things don't just happen. There's this process, and what happens in that process is people have to put everything in there and it hence blocks them out from doing that. Um, even actually to your point, I remember uh, whenever uh, my friend and I we did the documentary Tokyo to Singapore, Tokyo Singapore to Tokyo. Any way we can check it out. <laughs> no, but uh, when we were doing the documentary and we'd finished doing the commercials and we started putting out ads for it, and I one of the comments that were on there was like, "Man." Look at this. I can't. I would love to get paid to do this. Must be nice to get paid. And I was sitting there laughing because I was like, yeah, when you buy this, yeah, it'll be nice. But your comment by itself didn't really mean anything except for right. you have a assumption that these things just occur. Right. Um, and, and we talked about this last week, which both you and I have a hard time. And I'm sure a lot of people, but it, 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 about how using the term lucky. Right. Um, you know, when people say, oh, you're so lucky, you know, it's like, no, I worked actually, I worked really hard to make that happen. Like to go from Singapore to Tokyo and you're like, didn't just get lucky. And, you know, right. say, oh, let me just take my bike. Like, you know, I did that because I put the work in, I put the effort and, you know, I made that happen. And it's the outcome that came with it. Exactly. Hey guys. I just want to take a quick moment to talk to you about the Rugby Outlet Mall. Now, I know you guys have heard me talk about this many times in the show before, typically in the intro, but I wanted to really make sure to get your focus on it because the Rugby Outlet Mall is not just the commerce hub for Gift Time Rugby, but it is an area where we want to be able to create the movement and the symbolic elements that add to the movement. The Rugby Outlet Mall is here so that we can have something that not just to have for the field, but more importantly to be able to have as a regular lifestyle. Because as you know, rugby is not just a sport. 
It's a whole way of life. It is a movement. And we have everything moving from cultural to your pop culture items like our rugby zon shirts or and sweaters, uh, sweaters as well as representing for the culture as we continue to develop the HBCU rugby classic and we want to continue to support these things because it only grows the sport overall. We are continually growing to be able to make sure that we are connecting with you on a personal level as well as a rugby level. And for you guys that are listening to the podcast and listening to this show, want to let you know that you are going to get 20% off all gear that is under the category of Gift Time Rugby Network and the HBCU Rugby Classic. That is basically the entire store. And all you need to use is promo code GROWRUGBY, G-R-E-A-U-X RUGBY. And with that, you guys will get 20% off any clothing that is in the store as of right now. And of course, we're always building up more and more each time. But we want to make sure that you are able to symbolize your rugby faithfulness to the rest of the world and let them know that there is an opportunity to be able to develop, to grow, and to get better each and every time in this sport. So guys, I hope you guys check it out. Definitely go and you guys can go to www.rugbyoutletmall.com. That is Rugby Outlet Mall. Com. Guys, you're not going to want to miss one bit of this. Now, let's get back to it. Exactly. You know, I, I it's it's so true. But, you know, kind of speaking into perception, you know, it also goes into what what we look for from um, our teams. I, I talked with uh, uh, just talked recently with Katie Sadler with uh, World Rugby and uh, I talked with few other people but you know we have such a perception of what it is to also be uh of what's expected from world rugby for you you understood it as terms of our teams you know being inside that room and seeing understanding you know getting to understand personalities and stuff and speak within the 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 specific range uh, you know no names or anything like that but i ask don't worry, it's a, I don't <laughs> can't get it out me. Yeah, but I asked more of the factor of when you hear about how people perceive the ease of how uh, USA Rugby does or World Rugby does or RFU does, and you get to actually meet some of these people. Do you feel like there's a a really there's been any auth- accurate? representation for what the general public will feel versus what the reality is itself? Um, I mean, that's hard because I don't know what the, like, uh, as I was just saying, like, I try to stay away because I, I get, I, I get very defensive um, because I know how hard these people work. Um, so, you know, it's very different. Like you said, once you start, like when you start commentating and you start knowing the, the people, then it's very hard to criticize. Like when you see people crying or upset because their careers are ending, you know, and it's the end of a World Cup and their careers are coming to an end and you sit there and see how hard they're working and that they're not getting what they deserve like it, it's hard to hear people criticize their actions um, because you know what they're going through. Um, 
I also think it's really interesting because it's it's also perception. I think no matter who you are, you know, Tiff and I were talking about this the other day, like your stress is your stress. So there's a perception of the U.S. that a lot of people say that we have like a ton of money. And when I tell people, I'm like, no, like my favorite is that Samu Manoa in 15s used to call our per diem our Taco Bell money. Because like, you know, he, he he worked his ass off to get where he was with Toulon and, you know, he made, he made good money then. And now he's he's such a great human being. He's back, you know, being a bricklayer, which is what he's good at. But the, what we got paid for the U.S., literally, he's like, I mean, literally months, I took him to Taco Bell and he spent $60, which I don't know how he, how you could spend $60 at Taco Bell. But, the, you know. the, the money, supreme burritos, man. <laughs> the money is not there, but like. You know, people, you know, the French team or the South African team, you know, they have this perception um, that we get more. And, you know, we're still a tier two nation. So we complain that, like, we don't get the same treatment that in sevens that New Zealand or Australia does. But then they say the same thing. Like, everybody has their own story, a version of, like, well, you know, oh, they got a better flight time or they got a better this or they got a better that. And it's you know, for everybody, it's true for them, you know, because that's their truth. And that's their perception, you know, whether or not Kenya gets, you know, this or that. But um, so it's hard to say, um, because you don't know the reality. And that's why I try not to criticize is because like, yeah, we think, you know, New Zealand does really well. And so they have all of this, but like their perception is a lot different. Um, and when you're in it, it it's, it is different and it, and it is real to you, you know? No, no. And that's, that's what I, we, we, I feel like always needs to be reminded in it. It's like, look, this is, <laughs> this isn't where we just said before. It's not easy. This isn't something that just, uh, again, it doesn't just occur. It's, it's a factor that there are, real processes that go through and the even though we've used the word perception a lot and it's going to be the word of the day for today but you know it is that that idea of like everything seems exaggerated comparatively simply because of the expectations that are being put on it so every every kit every uh food bit every service like whatever always seems like oh you're absolutely having to get the best but the reality is, like, that best had to come from something, which means you're probably not always getting the best out of it. Yeah, you know, and I mean, you know, and at one point, you know, England, like we always say, like, they're the richest rugby union. And, you know, they might have more than, say, Fiji. But as we're just talking about, like, you know, reading a book about the Olympics and they were saying how, you know, there are. I mean, all of the housing in Rio was horrible. It, you know, this is what they said in the news. I mean, I said my room, like we shared like these kind of condo apartments and my room was off of the kitchen. There was no mirrors. Like the, there was plastic over the winter, over the window. Um, you know, the, you didn't have a lot of provisions. The athlete village had like a McDonald's, but you know, Fiji's saying how bad and Australia was saying how bad their living conditions were. And I'm like, that's exactly how ours were. Right. We thought, oh, we saw the U.S. come out and the Ralph Lauren, you know, and maybe for the basketball players that stayed, you know, on a on a boat outside of it. But for the most part, you know, I don't know about the tennis players, but like 
we did not have you know yeah okay maybe our clothing was our clothing was pretty cool (laughs) (laughs) well let me be real eh? (laughs) but you know we you know we ate at the same dining halls that like you know didn't have the greatest food and again i mean our the the places we stayed were, were not that great at all um but the perception is you know like oh well the U.S. had it like so much better than we did, right? And that which isn't true. Everything that glitters isn't gold, and just because mm-hmm. you see a shiny house doesn't mean the inside is fully built in. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. yeah our, clothing, our clothing was pretty cool. <laughs> it's like, but they did hook us up. We we yeah. we got yeah, we got the swag. Yeah. <laughs> so, we'll give you guys that. We'll let you have that one yeah, part. Right. No. You know, uh, kind of wanted to kind of talk, especially when you picked up on, on the Olympics and Rugby World Cup. Obviously, you have been through at least three Rugby World Cups. and well, I, work, I worked at two. You worked at two and then the Olympics as well. Yeah. So for you, again, I love talking about experiences when it comes into it. You had been working with teams on just regular games, right? You, you have your four-year round of just normal games. Is the experience of getting players ready for a normal test match different than, or does is there a, a different vibe in the air than it is going into a Rugby World Cup match? Um, I don't think so. Um, you know, again, the players might say differently, but I think the first coach I worked with, Scott Johnson, who I loved, he's I think we talked about him a little bit. He's Australian, and then he was the director of rugby at Scotland. And Eddie O'Sullivan, they 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 both said um, no other country would put up with what we put up with. So we had such limited resources that yes, at World Cups we were given a little bit more, but we still were going into it um, like somebody was criticizing our All Blacks match, and I was like, you know, people got in like four days before that. So we're flying in from all over. You know, we had like four training sessions. I mean, we're playing the best team in the world. Like, what do you expect? Like, they're, they're still, you know, getting to know the people on their team at that point, like, let alone, like, talk about strategy. Um, You're talking about the All Blacks match 2014. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. You know, um, so at World Cups, the only thing I say advantage is that we've, been together because part of being a tier two nation now they have a lot more test matches which is great before we had you know june tests and november tests so we get this momentum going and then you say okay see you in four months you know and at that time there was no pro rugby here so we wanted as many people overseas as possible so and then we come back and you start from scratch or you you know we get a new coach so we'd, we'd be constantly starting over so world cups you know we got the luxury of being together for a longer amount of time, but you also got the stress of being on the road for months in hotel rooms away from your families, doing the same thing in and out, having no personal space. So, again, the New Zealand World Cup in 2011 was very, very special. I I, I was not at 2007, I mean, I, I can imagine it was great being in Paris. I think they shut the Eiffel Tower down for them. But New Zealand was such a great host and they just made you feel so special. And I remember um, 
playing Australia in Wellington. And so, of course, everybody in New Zealand was cheering for us. Right. And that, that was a really special, like, moment because, you know, we're not used to playing in packed stadiums like that and having everybody cheer for us. And, you know, also that was our first match was against Ireland and it was the 10th anniversary of 9-11. So, it, you know, there was a lot of special elements that I didn't think would play into it. Like the 9-11, we were supposed to go to this like um, church ceremony for two hours on the game of our first World Cup match. And so, you know, high performance wise, we're like, really, this this is absurd. Like, right. Ireland which you know it was a big thing because Eddie O'Sullivan was our coach and he was criticized a lot because of his experiences with Ireland so there's all this pressure coming up to it and you want us to go to a church ceremony for two hours you know but I mean it turned out being a, like an amazing experience and it was very powerful um but yeah I mean there's certain things so a long-winded version. Um, no, I mean, I think it's say like you have to treat every match like it's the same because we have so few that that does mean something to you. And, and for a lot of these people, you never know. Like that's the last time you could be playing and putting, as they say, putting that jersey on. Right. So most people, I, I've haven't seen many people take it lightly um you know for the most part it, it's a very somber you know in 15s very moving experiences and jersey ceremonies were very moving interesting in sevens because we would have so many jer jersey ceremonies it's a little less formal right so i would come and to me, um like you know we we get dressed up and wearing khakis or i started wearing a skirt after a while and you know, put on our polos, our number ones. And it, it was, it, it was very special to see people getting their jerseys. And because in again, in 15s, there weren't that many matches. Um, sevens, you know, you have, you'll, you'll be playing in Australia and playing New Zealand next week. And then next month you'll be playing. So, you know, you have 10 series on the, um, 10 stops on the series. And there's less of you and you're doing it in your hotel room. So, you know, every, every once in a while we have a very special Jersey presentation, but they would make fun of me because I would come in and um, just because I was wearing all the same thing, I had like an Eagle's belt buckle and this, this like bone carving of an Eagle just cause you know, I, I needed something. <laughs> you need to have your own ceremony to be part of this as well, too. Chris Brown would make fun of me because for jersey ceremonies for for sevens, and we'd be doing it in our hotel room because all the teams are in it. You don't have extra space, right? Um, and I'd still get dressed up for it because to me, it it was really really special. Um, and they're just like Sarah, you know, this is a ten minute thing we're doing, you know. Or New Zealand would always make fun of me. Um, in locker rooms because like we taught Mike Fred and we taught everyone like and all of our liaisons like how to take the flag down and fold it properly because that's our culture you know New Zealand has a lot of different culture cultural things that they can um, kind of touch they, they on go to and for us it's the flag so they'd be like sir we watch you every week taking down this flag they're like we would just take it down because to them you know and it's not a criticism the flag doesn't represent the same kind of thing Right. You know, and it's all about intent and meaning. So right. it's not just they're being disrespectful. No. 
it's just they have their own cultural things that are important for us. We have so many different cultures. It's the flag, um, you know, and not to get into a debate about like anthems and that kind of stuff. But, and, you know, the anthem never really meant anything to me until I started going to test matches. Mm -hmm. And it's not the actual song or the meaning or whatever, but for these men and women to represent your country, because you're always representing your country. You're not just representing right. Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Louisiana. Um, to have that achievement is such a big honor that, as I said, like I would cry. And again, it's you know they could be sing singing like Win Dixie. I, I don't know. Like it, it doesn't matter that it was the national anthem and. But that moment, it, it was just so special. And I remember going back to that. Um, we had an Australian scrum half that started, and when we played Australia at the World Cup, and I asked him, I was like, "Is it weird for you to be singing, you know, against, you know, because he had friends on the team as well, like against Australia?" And he was like, "This is my country. This is my team. Like, I'm playing for America." And you know, so it's always really hit home and anthems. That moment, again, doesn't matter what it is of representing your country, um, has always been one of the most special things to me. And in sevens, you know, you don't do it before the match um, because that would just take forever. <laughs> it would take forever. <laughs> you have like 30 of those happening at a time. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I, and I, I like that it, it kind of speaks to the vibe. Um, you know, and I think there's so much that goes into the vibe of what you do within a match from like what you do as your tradition, like you said, with getting dressed and coming with your necklace for the uh, jersey ceremony to what it feels like just being on the field or what it feels like having this amount of crowd just kind of yelling. And, and that's all that energy that you feel coming down at you. And, and it's a it's a very intoxicating feeling to have those. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny for, in my club days, what I, one of my favorite things is that like, I used to always get to the pitch early and I loved, we have, it, um, Brandywine's kind of out in the, in the suburb countries, but we had a beautiful pitch that was on a horse farm. So I loved just sitting there and watching the pitch being empty. So like part of my job was setting up locker rooms. So I love the fact that I got to stadiums early and yeah. we set it up and I, I got to be there when nobody, you know, People were just setting up like that was kind of like my like turn it on moment. It was just right. a, a special thing. And you and Tiff talked about it in her thing too about her in the anthem mm -hmm. and you know her being from New Zealand, but her teammates belting it out and how powerful that was to her. So again, I'm not trying to make it political, but it's it's no, that it's, moment. It's, it's exactly you know it, it's when you turn the switch, whatever it may be that is so special and unique. And again, it's like you're, you're representing your country every time you do that, which is just such a special thing. No, I, and, 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 but, and that's, I think even, even without it, whether it was political, whether it's in a guise of politics or not, it's that exact same feeling. It's what is it that you have the expectation of what it represents for yourself right. and, and like the interpretation. To, exactly. You know, the flag's important to us. It's not necessarily, you know, important to other people. Like exactly. Taking your hat off when we sing is a tradition that we do. 
I was at the but, World Cup last year in Australia, and they weren't being disrespectful. They don't. It's just not a thing that they do. You right. Know? You know, and I, I think it even comes in, and I always ask this because you, you pointed this out, is I always wonder when, what is the, when we put traditionalism uh, versus um, uh, purism kind of thing. Uh, so, like, you use, within rugby, the perfect example is with drinking and alcohol. You know, culturally, that is a central component of rugby, but you, we have to always ask ourselves at the same time, like, where are we trying to go with it as a sport? I, I talked about this with Tozan uh, several times on podcasts and off of it. And I've talked with it with several people. But, you know, it always asks, like, where is it that you're, we're, we're trying to move forward to? How much of it do we want to stick with the tradition of, of, of what rugby has to offer? Or do we stick with the purism of it and try and get the intent and adjust what the culture is? Um, and for me, where I stand is much more of the ilk of rugby is always having to be an evolving sport. Uh, the framework of it has is always going to be based in the social aspect, and I think it's by far the strongest component of it, even more so than what it does on the pitch. But in doing so and being so widespread, you have to also now start taking in the uh, the characteristics of what it means to have multiple cultural perspectives of the same structure. So it removes some of that traditionalism away from it, um, but, and adds to it. So I'm, I want to ask you for you, as you've been able to see all the aspects, you've been able to see the roundedness of it. Um, do you feel like there is, there is room for rugby to maintain its, its core self while adding uh, new elements that weren't introduced before, or do you think where a lot of people will find themselves in really working hard to maintain a lot of the traditions that go along with it for the sake of calling it rugby as we know it? Um, I mean, I guess that, that depends because I don't know what you define as like what it's you know the core self of it because I think you know it. Say you're talking about a 15s, you know, premiership match. Um, you know, when when they come over, a lot of the premiership people, it, it's you know, they like to drink, get dressed up in suits and they go out to the pub and talk about the match. And because of the nature of, of 15s match, because it's long, um, you know, you're not having fancy dress in the in the stadium. Right. Um, you know, the world. World Cup last year was the first time when I went to the quarterfinals, like, you know, saw four different nations watching a game, which was cool to me because it was a little bit more like sevens. Um, so, yeah, that's part of the element. You know, being around so many different countries, a lot of my my friends from different countries will say it's interesting to hear what they think of, of what's American, like marching bands. They think Ameri right. marching bands are very American. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I mean, Disney World, like, all this stuff, but um, tailgating, I guess, is a very American thing to do. So I think, you know, I don't think we, I don't think we've, I think we've tried to do a lot of like what England and Europe do. Yeah. Um, which I think is a little, a little stuffy for Americans. Um, sevens, you know, I love the model of it and I, and I think it, should be highlighted more, but for 15s, you know, sevens, you, you can't really have a fan fest. And I talked to a friend about about this who 
does a lot of hospitality. And I was like, you can have the greatest fan fest at 15's match, and it's the same people walking, but it's a different atmosphere because you're not having these 14-minute matches that go down to the last second. So you need to give them a good place to hang out and talk about the match because that's what they want to do. In seven, right. you can watch 30 amazing matches in a weekend. So you can watch a couple and then stop, go outside and, you know, do all of this and whatever. So I, I think, like, you know, the MLR is in a really special place because I don't think it's been – developed yet like I, th I think the culture is there to somewhat develop and as you said like the u.s um i'll talk about in sevens right now like our team is made up of what america represents it's like right. so diverse which is wonderful but with that you have all these different cultures you know 15s it's, it's easier we have there are more traditions and um, again i'm just talking about my experience not how it is now or whatever but you know we um the like Tolkien especially, I would put up past pictures of past players like in, in our physio room, in our team room. Um, we tried to, you know, there'd be a little bit more time to keep traditions. Um, you know, in sevens, our, our boys are from, and women are from all over. Um, and there's just not, you know, there's so many different cultures that you have to encompass, um, which is again, beautiful, but very hard to take in and, and coach number one, but also make traditions right. because it's so many, you know, they all have their different traditions. Um, so I, I think it needs to be a hybrid. I think it's something that needs to be developed and we just haven't necessarily developed yet. And part of the problem too, is a lot of club teams have their own traditions, which they think should morph into Someone else, but like what you know, you do on the East Coast might not be what you do in California. And again, that's the beauty of America. That that's also the difficulty of it. Simultaneously, you know? like it, it is. And we talked about this last week about you know I hate when people say oh they're not American or you know this person is an American because I said well what what makes them it's American? American. You know, like, right. Yeah, they are. But like. You know, this, you know, some people that you don't consider an American, like they played for their country. Like, right. how can you say that they're not American? Like right now, I want to get out of this country <laughs> anywhere else. Like, so somebody that takes more pride for playing for their country, I, I don't know. I just don't think you can define, because um, that's what we are built on is, is diversity. And so I don't think you can say, oh, they're not American, you know, or this person is an American or, you know, like we had a women's coach who wasn't, I mean, I don't know where he was born, but isn't quote American, but people have accepted him as, and so it was like, right. why is it okay for him, but not okay for this person? Right. You know? And it, it, again, perception, perception, perception on that. Word of the day. But I uh, know I, I love, I love what you're saying on that because I, I, and you know, for me, it's it's the same where, you know, we we work so hard and especially I think in this era of rugby where now you are able to have a more of a chance to express yourself because I think it's stepping outside of that European variation mm -hmm. of of how rugby should be microscopically. Oh, yeah. I mean, in sevens, I, th I think I told you that's like it, in the beginning, it was funny because 
you know, Mike, uh, Friday's English, but I would say he's more American than a lot of American coaches have had, and which is why the English think, like, you know, he had a reputation, uh, you know, of being very feisty on the sidelines, and we'd always <laughs> out of the box. And that, you know, that was part of my job, was to keep him in the box. And the head referee, like, they'd be like, Sarah, and I'd be like, Mike, just stop stepping over the line. Like, and he just, <laughs> But, you know, he, Mike embraces individuality and he's worked really hard to allow the, again, talking about the men's team, um, you know, try to embrace their culture and who they are and how, and, and, but keep them as one unit. But when we would be um, in the tunnel, for example, and this is what we're talking about, like marketing, like, so as rugby players were taught, you know, it's in us that we're pretty humble. Like you don't showboat, you know, you, you don't, right. you score a try and like, you're like, oh, New Zealand, they score a try and they go. And th- cause that's your job. You know, so when I watch football, I'm like, what are they celebrating? They get paid to do that. Like, <laughs> like you should catch the ball. Like, why, you know, you, like every time you make a tackle, like, yeah, that's your job to do that. But so in the tunnel, when we would have like, you know, some of our guys that played American football, like, and you know, I mean, I'll say like people like Perry, who's just like he just lights up a room when he's ha- when he's happy, which is most of the time. Like, like just when he takes his hoodie off and he just smiles and he just you just can't help it. And he'll dance around. So you know, most other countries stand very quietly and the right. very quietly in the tunnel as they're going out. And at one point, we had like you know, like Carlin and Perry and you know. Like Nate Ebner and Kevin Swearer and like all these guys that played football and they were just like and the referees would like look at me and I'd be like hmm. you know like because they'd be like come on man and they'd be like pumping each other up and it was like to me it was just but it was so funny because everybody's like what's going on what do you got what do you got to do like, you know you know you shake you know the guys are sitting there shaking hands but they make sure that they you know you go in the tunnel together you give them space like you're right. sitting you know they're not talking shit to each other, but like, and now they love it. But in the beginning, um, it would just be so funny because the referees would just be like, "What is going on?" And yeah, and I mean, you know, we were loud. Like, we were definitely loud. Like in in the meal rooms where we bring attention. <laughs> That's where you go. That's the American thing. We're loud. There we go. <laughs> we will bring the attention on ourselves. Yeah. But it's with purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey everybody, this is just the break train sitting out a personal little video diary to all you people out there where I am going to document me riding most of the way between Singapore and Tokyo for the 2019 Rugby World Cup. Number one is because um, it's part of my business. I do Rugby Lovers Guide to Asia. Number two is I want to bring a lot of exposure to the to the rugby clubs and the rugby NGOs and charities. Also, on a personal level, I just want to break uh, the funk I've kind of felt I've been into for the last 10 years. So for the next 12 months, I poured myself into the Singapore to Tokyo campaign, but it still wasn't enough. I needed help, and it came from Louisiana. We in Singapore, baby! Gift from Gift Time Rugby USA is an extroverted tour de force. Say hi to my people out there. <laughs> Which makes up for my um social shortcomings. This place is unbelievable. Oh, it's not just it's like what's he supposed to do? Morons, a bunch of morons. Guys, picture with me. 
picture. Australian, g'day mate. Can you use my phone? But what unites us is a hunger for adventure. After KL, Kuala Lumpur. Our love of Asian rugby culture. One, two, three, second! Yeah! Rugby is starting to develop here in Cambodia for women as well. Valkyries, the mighty, mighty Valkyries! And allows us to overcome incredible, incredible obstacles. It's just got so thick. It's just so thick here. Now it's pouring down rain again. But coming to this Thai-Cambodia border has renewed all the aggression. So the whole thing's gone buggered. I got hit. What? I got Thailanded by a motorbike. I can just feel that knee, that ankle just going in all the wrong directions under the weight of my body. But that doesn't compare to the pain of, of failure. I'm dying. Oh, I'm dying. And that's what I've been worried about this whole time. We're out here, we're running out of energy, we're running out of money, and we're feeling isolated. And yet at that critical moment, friends, family, sometimes complete strangers, come on board. Before you know it, we're back in the game. Tokyo, here we come. Making a comeback. Four weeks, 2,300 miles. Five countries! After all the trials and tribulations, this ride had become deeply personal. All that mattered now was getting to that Rugby World Cup game in Tokyo. Hey, buddy. All right. Beasy. Go check out redearthfilms.vhx.tv to get your copy of Singapore to Tokyo any way we can. That's redearthfilms.vhx.tv. No. That's real, and, I, I, and that's exactly it. It's 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 how to be able to express yourself through the sport without distracting right. the sport from what its intent right. is, because it is capable of doing it all. And we see it. I mean, clearly, New Zealand, I feel, has always been leading the way in it, but it just happened to be that they were the most well-known of that, and it seemed to be the exception. But I think now we're hearing it, and especially after this pandemic where – everything got very weakened um, that now it's like, you kind of have to allow this. Like, what is the difference? There's, it's different than it was in 95. It's 95 is different than it was in the 70s. 70 is different than, you know, it was in the 1800s. So like <laughs> you just, you express it, but this is that era of, of, of just adding to the culture. And I, I love kind of what 2020 had brought in terms of that in forcing some of these things to get exposed and to, to push them up so that they can be discussed and they can be presented and allowed. Well, I think, I think that things are also evolving, like, number one, because of social media. Right. Um, and I was listening to a podcast, and I told you, you know, I was at the I was lucky enough to be at the final of the South Africa, England, you know, at the Japan World Cup, which, again, was one of the most moving experiences of my life. And just to hear him speak... Um, and so I was listening to a podcast and how you're saying that, you know, he, he has this platform and he was given this platform and, you know, now athletes, you know, are 
are celebrities. Where right. before, like I just saw, I'm forgetting her name, her name, but that tennis player that Louis Vuitton just signed as like. Oh yeah, um, uh, uh, Osaka. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, Osaka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, which other athletes have before, but you know, if you're given an opportunity you know it's like you kind of now have to take it and with social media and the fact that you know our athletes aren't making any money so right. you know they they have to use that to survive if, if they want to you know have any longevity in this sport right now you have to use yourself as a platform which I think is a great thing. Um, like Nia Tapper, I love the fact, like, you know, I mean, That's like, the homie right I, there. always by, you know, Perry, I'm number one fan, obviously. <laughs> and I, you know, and on my website, I put his stuff on there. And like, Nia, I try to, you know, I buy her stuff. And I love the fact because Nia is one of the only athletes um, right now, because when you're so focused as an athlete, you don't have time. Right. To Think about marketing yourself and you don't have the money to have an agent to do that for you and again it's still not really in the culture of our sport but she's just really great at it because she's you know she's marketing herself now yeah which, which is wonderful and you know in a great way and she's not showboating she's not whatever but she she's looking she's calling herself an entrepreneur because yep. she is and she's making steps and, and branding herself and because she has, you know, a lot of amazing dreams and goals, but I think it's wonderful because, you know, and and part of that is, you know, she has time because of the pandemic to do that. But I, you know, she's just a special person in any way. But it, it's hard for athletes to do that because you're so focused, you can't be thinking about like, you know, what can you do over here and sitting. You know, like Carlin with Red Bull, it, it, it it's always so hard because like. He'd want me to bring like a Red Bull out at halftime, but you can't because you can't like it's sponsorship, you know, is a big thing. And, um, you know, but so you can get sponsors, but there's also only so much television time and so much time that you're on. And if it's a conflicting sponsor or, you know, part, you, you can't use that either. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, it, as you said, it, it, it's evolving, but I think now athletes are, you know, they are celebrities um, yeah. more so than just actors and actresses, you know, going out and endorsing and, and using their voice. Like athletes can now do this, which is different than how it was in the past. Agreed. And, and it's, it's one area. I mean, it's, it's one I I'm so that's very near and dear to my heart on that. Naya is a perfect example. And it's one of the reasons why I think she's, one is just absolutely amazing, uh, and that's on multiple levels. But it's also because of the fact that I love the innovation of it because it's easy to keep bypassing it. Like, that's it. There's plenty of reasons to not try and go after something more because your, your schedule just doesn't allow. But whenever she's stepping out into it, and I'll even say, even she was doing it before the pandemic, pandemic kind of gave a little bit more opening. But she was already setting herself up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but it's interesting because, you know, my business partner, my friend Allie and I, like, I realized this a couple of years ago where because a lot of my friends would come to me and a lot of, I mean, I, I have no idea why, but a lot of international players would be like, oh, Sarah, you know, will you help me get in touch with this person? Or, I, you know, they want to come to the States and play. 
But a lot of the U.S. players, I realized, you know, if they were switching teams or whatever, like they didn't have rugby resumes because, and I realized because they never had to have one. Right. You know who the good players are. Um, you didn't have to go in, but now we have other people coming in. So you you have to give them something. something. Yeah. And like with Naya, um, you know, and, and Perry, like, you know, Perry has his, his PB11 um, website and he has his camps. But I was looking up athletes' website, and not many athletes have their own websites. I mean, social media is basically a website now, but yeah. they don't have something to promote themselves. I think I think like Todd used to have one years ago, um, and now with his foundation, he does. But like, you know, they don't have a place to put all of their articles and their, you know, and their pictures and stuff. So we we're trying to figure out an affordable way, mm-hmm. you know, to do it because these guys again, these people don't have money. To do it, but an affordable way to make a website where you can basically, you know, it's a virtual resume and help them do resumes for themselves. And that's <laughs> where the, I was going to ask you where uh, about Tory Tory uh, rugby as well. So I guess this is as natural transition into it. Um, considering everything that you've been doing, you started working on this project this year, uh, last year, um, which is Tory, which is the original influencer rugby one of the best names i'm not even gonna lie it rolls off the tongue so well you know um you know can you kind of talk a little bit about what you you and ali have been trying to work on with that yeah you know i mean you know i kind of the name i hate i hate the word influencer but it was actually a year ago that my friend rob from vegas he was like writing an email and so we're going to the MLR event in Vegas and he was saying like, oh, this is, you know, my good friend Sarah and she's like an influencer. And I was like, Rob, what, what do I sell things on Instagram? Like, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I was trying to, um, this, one of the people I respect the most is this analyst, Ashley Everett from South Africa. And I just love South Africa seven scene. I, like to me, the way they, everything they do and the way that they run is so professional and I love all of their staff. And so Ashley, I always kind of, it's like, he's my sounding board. Um, and I'll ask him like, what should I do about this? What should I do about that? Cause you know, it's been a, a rough transition the last two years and he's not working with teams and my identity is kind of gone a little bit and I, I still want to be in high performance and there's, you know, only so many jobs out there. Right. I've been in the background for so long. I'm not used to promoting myself. So I was like, you know, and, and I do, yeah, I do massage and body work and yoga, but you know, I became a manager and I'm really love doing that. And like you, I really, really love promoting people. I take a lot of photographs. Like I, I want to highlight the special things people are doing, but I've also studied a lot of like nutrition and um, all these different elements and like the elite athlete well-being stuff that I'm doing that I love. And it takes all of these elements. So I'm like, how do I, you know, I'm all over the place with what I do. And he's like, Sarah, that's okay. He's like, it's okay that you could be. So I started, I was like, I, okay, I want to do a website. So I'm not like, okay, here, you wanted some photographs. Here's a business card for that. You want some massage so to kind of encompass everything that I do. So it started off as like a virtual website. And then I realized, you know, I didn't want it to be like anything with the word rugger or anything Cliche, whatever. So I wanted um, to showcase also to have a place where people that voices don't always get heard because, you know, even at the OTC, they talk about the food pyramid, you know, which is just so old school, you know, or or the way people, you know, 
think about conditioning or lifting. So like, I know all of these wonderful, amazing people, um, and this is I get heard because they're younger or people don't want to listen to that. So I wanted to have a platform where number one, you could promote athletes, but also promoting these people and saying like, you know, Tiff and her coaching style or, you know, Les Spellman and his, you know, his work with speed and say like, Hey, here are the new ways of thinking about things. Like, you know, like, Hey, we, lift in line outs now you know like it's not back in the day um, but it's not not to say like what the way you're thinking is wrong or the way that you're conditioning or you know if your training's old school but like to say hey here are options right. so you know here i want to give you resources of people that i've met along the way and think are brilliant and give them a platform and then you can decide you don't I, i'm not like I didn't want to say this is right or this is wrong because the way you should be eating is very different from the way I should be eating. And, you know, I've done everything from intermittent fasting to, you know, I've studied all about, you know, different nutrition. I did, I'm very big into gut health, but that doesn't mean it's right for somebody else. Right. So I wanted to make sure like that I'm not telling you this is it. Like you can decide what's best for you, but, I want these voices heard, you know, right. and, and also I want to showcase as we talked about the good things that athletes are doing exactly. and, not <laughs> and not talk negatively about them and make them human and make a very big personal connection. Cause once right. you make that personal connection, it's, it's, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. These people are doing, you know, they're creating role models. Like two years ago was the first time I had friends that, you know, rugby players that married rugby players and their kids were saying, like, one, for example, was like, Sarah, you know, can you get me Perry's autograph? <laughs> called me on tour and she was like, you know, I was so, so excited. I think her son Brett was like eight at the time. Like, you know, Brett scored his first try, but I was more proud of the fact that he centered it. And when I asked him, I said, Brett, why did you center the ball? And he goes, well, that's what Perry Baker would do. <laughs> and oh, I was like, oh, and they're so cute. So and I showed Gary, and I, we, we happened to be on tour, and I showed Mike, and Mike was like, no, we wouldn't, but, um, <laughs> which was re really funny. I mean, um, but it was right before, and then I brought them to CRCs, so he actually got to meet Brett because, you know, they were from around Philadelphia. And yeah. he asked this, he's eight, and he asked this great question of like, well, so what do you do when they try to, you know, corner Perry, like defensively, you know, like that's a brilliant question. Um, but it's just the fact that he said, like, that was his role model. And, you know, that was his answer was because that's what Perry would do. And people are the same way with Madison. Um, you know, they'd be like, and the fact that these kids growing up have these role models and are doing things because that's what they are seeing. And as we talked about, I'm very big and you have to see something to know what you want, you, you you can't, you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't have a goal, if you don't have, um, you know, a, a Naya Tapper, an Alev, you know, uh, a Phaedra, if you don't have something to achieve, even if you don't want to be an Olympian, um, if if you don't have something out there to look up to, right, as a role model, you, you know, either 
just as a role model or as you know physically if you want to be like Danny Barrett or anything like that like then you don't know what's there the same thing like I, I didn't know till after college that there was higher level rugby I didn't have a role model you know for me working as a woman in men's rugby I had no one to go to right. to say like what do I do about this? You know, I mean, there, there are a few women, you know, I'm, I'm not the first. But you know, it's just, it's, it's, there was four other women, one from Canada, one from Australia, you know, and it was great because I could talk to them, you know, and I had some people to sound off, you know. That's creating like, the community in, in, in that aspect, but yeah. you're still, you're still creating, that's, you're still creating the blueprint early on and, and continuing to create that blueprint even after the fact so that when that next generation kicks in, it's able to, there's at least something to be able to pull from. Right. So, you know, I say influencer, but it's more if you look at, like we're, I'm very good, big into definitions and meanings of things. So like to influence. So to have an effect on your thoughts or feelings. Right. So, you know, so again, if it's, you know, wearing Perry's sweatshirt, which I wear all the time anyway, but, you know, I mean, Perry doesn't need my help promoting him, but you know, I think but it's a great sure. thing to just support the great thing that athletes are doing and just to show that. Um, but, you know, I mean, we we do want to showcase, like, Allie is really great, um, my partner. I mean, she, we designed our website together, but graphically, she, I mean, she's amazing. Nice. So, like, our little emblem, if you look at, like, the meaning, it's the word, you know, T-O-R-I, and because I, I didn't know what to call it. I'm like, what's that button, you know, you put on Instagram, like, the circle? Like, what do we call it? So we looked up the meaning. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't mean, I don't know what it, what's it called. You know, like true. So, I don't know what it's called. I, just yeah. the profile picture. So area, we, I guess. You know, we kind of like we take different meanings of stuff, but that's our totem. So we like we wanted it, our meaning to be a manifesto rather than um, you know, and then our influencers or the people like podcasts that we like are you know, and we're still working on it. So curating the content and stuff like that. I, look, if you, what, what's the best way of putting this? I don't. If, I, I hope you appreciate the uh, what you guys are working. on. I mean, appreciate it even more than what it is in just uh, the, the 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 vision that you have it because it's the level of necessity within rugby industry is is ridiculous in yeah. it, and because even as as people start to grow and I, I always like to talk about the development of the industry especially in the US and basically any non rugby major rugby country it becomes more and more difficult for people to filter because there's just too many places to look we have there's just too much to be able to look and the greatest area where there is going to be need is going to be in curation of content at minimum you know and that comes into promotion so the fact that that is where it, it goes and, and, and that's part of your process and, and what you're trying to be able to bring out and help to be able to bring these athletes as well up while also helping to bring audiences into the space is uh, just phenomenal. And uh, it is legitimately a pleasure that you are, are willing to take that step and, and make it happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm trying, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely hard and there's, you know, there's, critics on everything um and you know i told you that a lot of what i love is this elite athlete well-being class that i'm taking and, and that's something i really want to get into um but the problem is like that and with all of these things is like again professional rugby is like we are in infancy basically if right. if we're in terms of an organization 
So I've talked to a lot of coaches, you know, about it. And, uh, you know, it's great because a lot of the, the guys that I worked with, you know, these players are now in a position where they're running clubs or coaches and they know the necessity and they know where they weren't treated well or what could be better. But, you know, the money's still not there to do all of these right. things. So they're like, that's a great idea. You know, yeah, we need that. But, you know, we, we don't have the money for it or we don't have the staff for it. Um, so they, this elite athlete well-being is taking, it's this guy Steve Johnson out of the Wellbeing Science Institute in Australia. And so what I realized is every other country has well-being experts. Mm -hmm. And it's not whole, like holistic, but it's not like yoga, you know, like, you know, he's a very straight-laced guy, but all of, he, he deals a lot with rugby league. Um, so everyone in Australia in rugby league is certified this. So mm -hmm. the, um, and in the class I was taking, and it was a year ago, I went to to uh, Loughborough twice. They were first; they were only offering in Australia, and I'm like, I can't go there. <laughs> four weeks, and it's like it's like a you know 800 hour, um, you know, it's, 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 course. it's the only certification in the world for for this. But it's taking all of the elements like um, what your what your identity is like what your yeah. strengths are what your what's important to you who you are outside of rugby like it's fine if it's financial if it's religious you know it's not just your physical body like it, you know if it's spirituality so doing measurable data and like you know taking this in and saying like okay before you're done your career let's do this at the beginning of the, your career like and your gut health and your brain health and, and right. he's very big into um you know things are, are learned behavior, so then mm -hmm. you can unlearn them. Um, so taking all these nine elements, lifestyle, culture. So if we bring a player over that we're, you know, we are aware before they get here, what their culture is and what their needs are and what their families are, you know, and the states are so big, it's like, you know, if you're living in New York or um, in Marietta, Georgia, it's very different, you know, it's, if you have a family, you know, it's, it's, it's a very different. So like taking this into account when you bring a player in and so they know this and it, so you're doing it because it's the right thing to do. Number one, right. makes you a better person. Right. But it also makes your organization better. And exactly. this guy, Steve, I mean, it, like, I was like, Oh my God, this is like, I've studied all these things individually. Um, but to hear it in practice and to hear that people actually do this, like for a living. Yeah. So all the people in my classes, I said, are premiership football or soccer players, like, but you know, they have the money to have this. And so they, they have measurable data. So you do all of these stats and all of these things to show like where you are right now and like flourishing scales and then putting, you know, making a well-being plan. And again, it's different for everyone. Right. Not That's not it. It's education. If that's your main, you know, then you, you focus on that. But it's finding out who you are so that when you end your career, um, you're not just left with nothing or that you don't just feel like an entity, you know, an entity. You don't just feel like, you know, you feel valued in the organization that you're in yeah. and, and which, you know, then is a return on your investment. So it, it's great for organizations because you bring, you know, you bring in these players, and if you have language lessons set up for them and bank accounts and schools for their kids, 
you're getting more out of your players than you would be if you didn't do this. And so that's a way to make it tangible and and realistic for an organization to actually put it into practice. And membership football clubs told me that basically because they pay their guys millions of dollars that for every day that they don't have their player playing, they're losing about $10,000 a day. You know, I'm like, well, we're not that, but it's the same thing. If somebody has a bad experience because we don't care and right. about their culture and take that their culture is different from ours. And we had to do cultural tests. So like understanding what my culture is as, you know, compared to yours, which would be very different in Louisiana. Right. If you're from Fiji coming into New York City, you know, so that understanding is. this and understanding. So it, it, it did a comparison like me as a peer you know, as a mentor, um, you know, working for somebody and how people see things and just understanding that and just hearing people and listening to them, basically, um, you know, it's just a wonderful thing. But so even though we're not paying these guys as much money, if we actually care, then it, it helps with player retention. So then it helps them go back and say, you know what, I was taken care of. Right. So other people want to if they have a bad experience. And again, it's a it's a lot to ask when we're in its infancy. But I think it's so important. And, it, you know, but again, it's it's a little tough because we, we, we don't have the resources and, and our healthcare system is different. So, you know, you do what do you do when you discover things? So, you know, I can't do everything. I can't be your nutritionist, but that you can right. ask, but like who's paying for you know, you realize that you're, you have tendencies to do this because this is what happened. He's, again, this guy seems very big into early childhood trauma is a cause for right. that too. But so if you bring that up, who, who's going to, to you know what I mean? Like, right. so, so that's a whole nother element. But I think that there's elements of this that need to be put into practice now. And so I want, you know, I want to do some case studies to show people. And I mean, I don't think we're ready. You know, like we can't have a well-being specialist. Right. But, but that's the pleasure of being in, in the U.S. Like there's even 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 though there is not there's not necessarily the direct uh, uh, connection to be able to put to it. But there's always some some way ways of being able to utilize the pieces that you can use now to redirect back. So it's like, OK, maybe it's not to the club, but who's. Somebody who can, who has a, uh, is a benefactor, who is, uh, is going to be, be, it's going to be beneficial to, to, in, to try and uh, afford to have this for the players or the workers. And then with that case study, it goes, okay, maybe I can give a little bit of leverage over here while we're developing on this side. And it's, it's just creating the plan and openness for it. Right. And, and then yeah. That's why this guy, Steve, is so great. Like, I would love for it. I mean, you know, his plan was to come to the States and he has been talking to other organizations, you know, and I would love to work for him to come in because he has all the data and the research about it. And, you know, he works with veterans. He works, you know, and he works with the organizations and he's just such, a, you know, he be believes in all this, but he has the measurable data, which, you know, is really important for an organization. And again, he, you know, he's, he's, done it so he says like you know it's really attractive to sponsors too not to make it into that but you, you know, you've got to speak in the language that people are going to be most uh right i mean i think we're at a, a again a really good point be, because the people that own these clubs are still doing it because they love it right and you know like i said a lot of the players are in positions of power now that 
know how the system was before. Um, and you know, it's a lot of money to have these clips. It's still not NFL money. Um, so it's, it's, it's great. It's a great point to start bringing this in. But again, it, you know, it has, there has to be an RI, like there has to be, they have to see that, that it's worth having this, you know, and it's funny because, you know, I did this before the pandemic started. And then, so I couldn't, you know, finish out my course. So I'm still getting certified. And again, I'm going to be the first person, I mean, if I get certified in North America, that's ever taken this class yeah. and be certified, which is really cool. Trailblazing. This is <laughs> part of the pioneering, pioneering in the well-being management, a pioneer in the sport, pioneer. I mean, it, but somebody has to do it. I'm always a big believer. If somebody yeah, I mean, has to do it, why not me? Right. Exactly. I mean, I, I took the saying, like, you know, even if I get out of rugby, like it's, it's everything I believe in number one anyway. Um, you know, and, you know, if I had to go work in a different sport or an organization, I mean, it, it's all this, you know, the same principles. Right. Um, but, it, you know, it's just interesting now because now everybody, obviously, because of pandemic is talking about well-being. Um, Mental health. Right. You know, which is a good time to, you know, so I wish we could introduce, but it's just, again, you know, everybody's all over the place. You don't, you know, nobody's organized enough and everything's changing from day to day, but it, it's something that we do need. And I think as for the organization to move forward and the, the MLR, and especially because we are so diverse right. um, again, which is the beauty and a curse uh, to bring people over or even, you know, someone say playing in Utah as someone playing in LA. I mean, it's a very different feel. And if you just make people feel heard, and and again, not just feel like they're a number, and if they get injured, that they're being, um, you know, that they're going to get thrown out, is is a is a really important thing because if you feel valued, then you're going to perform that much better. Exactly, you're going to give more uh, and, and find any ways to be able to do that. I mean, it's it's interaction one hundred and one, but ironically, it's one that is still in such need of being developed. Yeah, and it's funny, and and it's not to say that people like. Um, Phil Greening and Mike Friday and like again I'm just using them because those are the guys I worked with last like they do a lot of these elements individually and like you know on every team I've been on everybody's done these kind of individually um, because they do care about their players but it's never been a, a tangible measurable you know data piece that's yeah all put together like right. Phil is really like we always talk about gut health and he fasts in the morning and it's fun because, you know, he played for England and for the wasps and people think of him as this meathead. And now he's a pescatarian and he fasts in the morning and he uses coconut oil and he, I mean, he's just wonderful. Um, but he, you know, he understands the importance of gut health and brain health and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm not saying teams aren't doing these things, but this just encompasses it all into one and again most importantly gives you measurable data so that you can come back mid-season the end of the season and say okay this is where you were here this right. is and it also you know allows you to find out what your strengths are because you do a lot of characters you know um 
to like like assign you know, the BI strengths to find out what your strengths are. So you can say, okay, what else am I interested? Because it's something that I, I struggled with when I hurt my knee. Um, you know, and coaches said that to me and still not working in rugby, like my identity. I mean, I went, I went through it after riding and that's all, that's all I ever thought about. I didn't I had no idea what I wanted to do because when I was young, that, that was my dream. So when I decided to stop, I was like, well, now what? And then my identity for so long, even though, you know, I preach against it and saying it is like, I still say I, I'm a rugby player, even though I haven't played in 10 years, you know, but that's what I identify with because right. I identify with the values and everything about it. And, and so, and being on that team and I love traveling and I love the diversity and I love all the different cultures and I love talking with the Kenyans and I love talking with the South Africans and that, you know, it's just, it's such a um, unique experience, but like my identity right now, especially during the pandemic is like, I, I'm used to traveling. And even if it's not for rugby, like I need that cultural aspect of it. Right. So I have not been in one place for this long, like in one state. And I've, you know, I've been going like one or two places, but in like, Two, two decades like because I just I, I crave that like I always will want to travel and learn like you know I, I should have been out in Africa right now like <laughs> um but yeah it, but it's, so it's it's one thing to say but it's it's very hard to have an identity outside of that what's I, I, sorry no, no, finish what you were saying I'm sorry no especially because you do have to give up so much to you know like all of my friends, they're all doctors and lawyers. And like, you know, w w my friends, when they played in World Cups, I think, you know, Lara just started getting paid. Like, I mean, now it's probably like 10 years ago, but, yeah. you know, or get, I shouldn't get paid per diems, you know, like, so you're giving up so much to, to actually achieve sport that you do have to. I mean, that does become your identity. Fact. But that's that's the realness, and and I think that's where you we always end up having to find out how to m find these alternative routes. It's never going to always be the same, but we're we're not. It's not. I don't always think it's the the physical action, but it's the feeling that we still receive from that that we always want to get back to. Um, you know, whether from playing or whether it's doing stuff outside of the pitch or whether it's being in proximity to the pitch, like one way or another, the feeling of being a part of something that's bigger than self typically ends up being what we, we aim for. Right. And, and, and as we were talking about, I think it's, you know, I, I really want to do a lot with our alumni because I think uh, number one, you know, they're the biggest fans of rugby. And right. when you stop playing, if you're not a coach or a referee you know, or, you know, maybe an, an announcer, like you, what do you do? You know, right. so you've spent, you know, 20 years of your life making a national team playing for your country. And then a new coach comes in and, you know, yeah, you might get remembered, but then where's your identity? You're like, and you want to get back to the game, but if you're not coaching, you know, wow, you're, you're an admin, you know, there's only so many people that can do that and, or afford to do it. Like, what do you do and and so you do like it, i mean we're all competitive obviously like we all need that rush you know or that adrenaline or need that outlet to to do something no agreed agreed 
Yo, Sarah, uh, we're we're gonna keep having this conversation, um, but I'm gonna let the listeners have to wait for next time because I'm gonna keep this part selfishly for myself. But uh, I wanted to kind of go uh, ask you, where can people find more about Tory Rugby and and what you're trying to start doing? Well, again, we're still evolving it, and I kind of took a break from a little bit because you know, um, but uh, it's Tory T O R I rugby.com um and so it's you know we're on facebook and instagram and we have a beautiful website that ali and i designed and so yeah i mean you know again it it, we're using it as a platform for people so if anybody wants to be on it and you know we want to highlight everybody so it's we're still evolving what it's going to do like you know, I, again, I want Allie to do websites for athletes that are affordable because she's so good at doing it. And I think it's it's a need. And I um, I actually did some for some of the Kenyan players. Nice. Um, but again, it, it's just, you know, money and time and all of that. So it's the name of the game. But I'm around because we're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> moving around hopefully soon Uh, but no Sarah thank you so much uh, for just doing this and uh, I mean it's even uh, off off this has been amazing and continue on that one I know well we've got plans now we've got projects and we're roping Tiff into them and absolutely we're going to travel the world and (laughs) shit ever opens up you not <laughs> like it's gonna open up. We're gonna force this thing open. I'll, there's only so much patience that I, I even I can already have, and I've already broken that on on a little bit too. So, um, but thank you, and uh, mm, we'll, thank we'll, you. we'll talk again. Okay, thank you so much. Hey guys, uh, want to thank you so much, Sarah. You know we're gonna have this conversation again. Uh, but I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you guys for taking the time to watch and listen to this. Uh, it always is a pleasure, and uh, I'm so always grateful to both the audience and the guests for just taking time to be able to listen to us just sometimes ramble, sometimes have fun, but of course always want to make sure that we're providing great information in between there. Um, yo, this isn't even just our only one. This is our 40th show. So, guys, also check back. Last week, we had the great uh, Katie Sadler uh, of of World Rugby. Got my tongue all tied because of how amazing it is. Of World Rugby, the general manager for women's rugby of for World Rugby. Uh, we've also had Adam Milby, the Philippines president, uh, Philippines Rugby Union president, and a World Rugby Council member. Uh, we've had... Uh, Warren Mullis and Preston Thompson of American Rugby Pod, a.k.a. Red, White, and Black Eye. Of course, the guy, my guy, Tozan Tutsitanwe, Viral Rugby. We've had other great, Tiara Mack, the state senator for Rhode Island. We've had Tiffany Faye, the 2017 Women's Rugby World Cup captain. We've got Phil Thiel, former USA Rugby. We got Blaine Scully, captain for the men's uh, World Rugby team back in 2019. And of course, we've had 
great ones. Nia Tapper, formerly mentioned Cheddar Ember. We got locals like Tiana and Kyle Granby of Roots Rugby. We've had so many amazing people. Guys, just go check back at the other podcast because you know what? I'm telling you, these shows, these shows mean something. And I'm telling you, the more you connect to them, I'm, the rugby is going to be better because you're going to be rooting and that's why you want to show it with your friends so please again share this with your friends definitely check this out bring this out to the people because this is all we're trying to do we're growing the sport we're getting bigger we're creating the industry more and more every day and every day that we do it is the day that we get closer to being even greater and hit the expectations that people have for us here in the u.s or over wherever around the world because we can only get better together so guys i hope you have a great one and i hope you remember I hope you're happy, I hope you're healthy, and I hope you know you are highly favored. See you next week. Cheers. Yo, I want to talk to you guys about the HBCU Rugby Classic and Music Festival. Yo, this is the best event that is coming out in terms of cultural rugby. It is a representative of the historically black colleges and universities, but not just simply to represent for them, but to be able to continue to promote the development of rugby in all communities. And we want you guys to know that we are coming back for May 1st and 2nd, 2021. Do not want to miss this one. I know there's a chance that you guys might not be able to come into the stadium, but please be sure to get ready to watch it. We have a great set of teams coming up, great invitations from youth rugby all the way up to senior level rugby. So we are not just going to make it so that you only look for or understand one part, but this is for the whole shebang. This is something that is growing that will only make us better. So definitely check out more information at www.hbcurugbyclassic.com. Com, or find us on uh, social media at HBCU Rugby on Twitter and HBCU Rugby Classic on Facebook and Instagram. Guys, I know you're going to love this.